Good morning, Spire Network. Excited to be with you again for another episode of SpireCast. Uh, we're very excited also that we have ju just announced uh, our uh, preliminary list of speakers for Spire uh, Conference 2021 in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Craig Groeschel will be our keynote. Uh, will Mancini, wrote Future Church, will be there as well for uh, a main session as well as a, a breakout session. Uh, Judd Will Height, among many, many others. So keep watching your email. As you see, uh, we're gonna continue to announce extended lists of the speakers that are gonna be part of Spire Conference uh, through uh, the next uh, several days and looking forward to really seeing that full list of, of speakers by the end of the month. So excited to be able to look forward to Spire Conference September 14th through the 16th in Nashville, Tennessee. If you haven't gotten your uh, registration yet, just go online spireconference.network and register. Uh, the best prices are available right now. Also, there's some team prices if more than one uh, folks are, are coming and as well as the best housing prices uh, that we, we have for you. Uh, available online, spireconference.network uh, to get signed up today. I'm excited very much about this episode of SpireCast uh, because we're going to hear a reprised uh, a, 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 talk from Yukai Chow, who came to Spire Conference 2019. And uh, Yukai Chow is a pretty famous name in the area of something called gamification. Yukai uh, has done many TED Talks. He uh, has done uh, work for Google. He has done work for Uber. He's done work for Tesla, a variety of different um, those disruptive platform type companies uh, just in talking about gamification. But the other cool thing about Yukai is that he is a believer and um, came to, to, to believe in Christ in 20, uh, I think 2002. And it really changed the way that he started thinking about gamification as it pertains to the church. And so his discussion that he had at Spire Conference 2019 was, I think, really, really fantastic. And uh, there's so many applications, so many things that I think we can glean from it, especially now uh, at this particular time. Uh, so we're really excited to reprise that talk from Yukai Chow uh, today as he talks about the Octalus Octalysis system and the different things that he has developed along the lines of gamification that I think are really, really beneficial uh, to the church. But we also have a special guest in Greg Curtis. I'll uh, bring Greg on now. Greg uh, is uh, at the Eastside uh, Christian Church in California and is their uh, director of assimilation. Uh, and we really are so excited to be able to uh, have him with us today. Uh, Greg, Greg was at Spire Conference 2019, got the opportunity to hear you, Kai, was in a, uh, a, a breakout session as well. And uh, as an assimilation pastor really has uh, applied some of these things in some unique ways and some, I think, easy ways for everyone to understand and to really see how assimilation uh, can really be augmented by the idea of gamification. So, Greg, welcome. We are excited to have you with us today. I'm excited to be here, Chris. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. This is cool. Absolutely. Well, I wonder if maybe you can just share a little bit. I know, Greg, you were you, you were church planter and uh, worked with a church plant for about 17 years and then uh, came on to Eastside uh, to really work with Eastside's assimilation group. Uh, I know there's a great team at Eastside. We, we appreciate them so much. Maybe you could just share a little bit with uh, me and, and our, our uh, viewers here how assimilation has been 
um, either um, uh, impacted a little bit by this COVID season or what kind of things you all are doing coming out of it to reassimilate people uh, in many ways there at Eastside? Well, I think like all of, uh, you know, those who are watching right now uh, experienced, we, we experienced that quick turnaround, you know, when, when everything happened in March 2020. And all of our assimilation strategies were very connectable and in-person and relational. And all of a sudden, we're all online. So we created uh, uh, a version of our assimilation environment called Next Steps Online. And uh, we literally had 131 people go through it in uh, May. Hmm. And we, we could not, we, we just, just couldn't believe how much everybody was crowding into those things. And, but then in the months that followed, you know, people were, there was some zoom fatigue that hit in the late fall and our attendance started hmm. going down and all this stuff. And so we, we really uh, had to work from day one, from May on about introducing gamification and interaction in zoom so that you weren't just staring and listening to something. Right. And uh, that, that was really big. So since reopening, we have found that probably the same challenge most of, of everyone out there is experiencing in creating pathways that get people back in, into physical while still offering the digital. And now the going back to, for some people, the digital being a step uh, towards the physical, kind of a front porch approach. And all of those things uh, we're just ironing out right now uh, to see some new results as people are coming back. We find that there's a higher percentage of church people coming back who have a church background than those who were unchurched at de-church where before it was the reverse for us. So mm -hmm. I think that there's some time to kind of uh, uh, regroup strategies, which is a major task that we have in our leadership just this week in brainstorming sessions for reaching those people again post-COVID. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, really excited to hear more about uh, what um, you can share with us. And if you are watching uh, along when we uh, show you Kai's talk and you can think of a question that you want to ask Greg about assimilation or there's a question that you have, uh, don't feel uh, you know. Don't hesitate to drop it right in the comment section uh, of the uh, uh, of of the browser here, and we'll be able to get to that question and make sure that uh, we get to ask that talk through that. Uh, but I want to go ahead and uh, start you Kai Chow's talk uh, on gamification from Spire Conference 2019. Hello, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be here. Always a blessing and honor to uh, use the talent that God gave me to uh, glorify his kingdom and help him expand that. So today we're going to talk about what drives the human mind and this topic called gamification. So a, a quick background of myself. Uh, I started working in this field now known as gamification since 2003. I was, back then it was a very lonely passion. Uh, people didn't understand or believe in it. They thought I uh, created it to have more excuses to play games. But... Uh, I was seriously uh, interested in why people are so sucked into games, something that shouldn't matter in their lives, and they know there's a lot of important things they should do, you know, exercise, uh, study, learn, pursue God, read the Bible, but, and they know they should do it, but they just don't do it. They end up spending all this time doing things that don't matter. So I wanted to see if there's a way to apply what games are doing to more important things. And over the years, very blessed, a lot of organizations, governments study, uh, study my work, they discovered it, and so uh, my work so far has empowered over 1 billion user experiences. The way we do that is, uh, or calculate that is 
for instance, my work with uh, eBay, there's 40 million sellers there, and then work with Microsoft, there's 100 million uh, developers, and it adds up to a little over a billion. And I do a lot of these talks at the place like Stanford University, at uh, Google, different places. So uh, here's a small list of uh, some companies I've worked with. Now, what you'll notice is that these are not gaming companies. A lot of people think about gamification, think about, oh, I work with gaming companies. But in fact, the, the target audience, people I work with are companies or organizations that have something that's really, really important, but potentially kind of mundane and boring. So you see something like banks, car companies, healthcare uh, companies. I've also had uh, a good amount of blessing helping uh, Christian-related, faith-based uh, organizations. So Crew, I'm currently working with them. Uh, there used to be uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, Superbook, which is run by a Christian broadcast network, CBN. Abide, I did some talks at uh, Biola University. So just really blessed to, uh, to help different organizations like that too. Brings joys to my heart. Uh, wrote a book called Actionable Gamification. So if what we uh, talked about is very interesting today, you can potentially check out the book. If you don't like to write, read a book, then uh, I have a gamified platform to learn about gamification. So uh, yeah, so it's, you go around the island watching a lot of videos and learning that. All right, so let's start with the basics. What is gamification? Gamification is, again, applying all those fun, exciting elements in games into what we call non-game slash boring context. Things that you have to do, but you don't necessarily want to do. And at the center of gamification is what I call human-focused design, as opposed to function-focused design. So it's not human-focused versus God-focused, it's human versus function. And most systems are function-focused. They assume that people in the system will do the desired behavior, and then it optimizes for efficiency, for usability, for ergonomics. And so it's a little bit like a, like a factory where you assume that people do their work because you pay them to do it, and then you figure out how to maximize your production, right? Efficiency, maybe safety. But then human-focused design remembers that people in the system have feelings, they have motivations, they have insecurities, they have reasons why they do or do not want to do something, and it optimizes for that. So that's a bit more like a theme park where you design it to be really fun and engaging, and you can predict that people automatically want to line up for hours and hours just to enjoy the fun. Now, what's interesting here is that in the case of a factory, you're paying these people to do relatively mundane work of, of factory life. And in the case of a theme park, they're actually paying you to stand in line for hours and hours just to enjoy those few minutes of fun. So the reason why we call this gamification is because I believe the gaming industry is the first to master human-focused design. Because again, there's no real purpose to playing a game, right? You never have to play a game. You have to do a lot of other things, you know, take your medicine, do your exercise, do your homework. Even if you don't like it, you kind of have to suck it up and do it. But again, for a game, you never have to play a game. The moment a game is no longer fun, you leave the game, right? You play another game, you check your email, go to YouTube. And so because games have spent decades or even centuries, depending on how you qualify a game, you know, you know there's a golf tournament and all that stuff around here. Um, we're now learning from that discipline of trying to get people to spend sometimes six, seven, eight, nine hours a day doing basically repetitive activities such as throwing out a bird, throwing out a bird, throwing out a bird, or matching three gems, matching three gems, you know? People can do that again and again and again repeatedly for hours. My, my mother-in-law does it, my mom does it, you know? They all love that. And so we're learning from the discipline, and that's why we call that gamification. Now, this is a, a billboard that, uh, of a church. And it's, it's kind of funny, right? It says, come here, our pastor's not very good, but he's short, right? So this is the assumption that, oh, while listening to a pastor talk is something you're supposed to do, right? So, you know, it's not enjoyable, you don't really like it, but you're supposed to, so 
So therefore, the, the main feature is it's short. Hey, you just can do it, and you check your boxes. Yay, I, I'm a good Christian. Sunday, done. I leave, right? And, but when something is enjoyable, being short shouldn't be a, the main feature, right? If you say, we have a game that's, that you can finish in 20 minutes, or there's a movie that ends in 20 minutes, that's like not that interesting, right? When something's enjoyable, engaging, you want it to last as long as possible, as opposed to, yeah, it ends fast. That's great. So why did it become this way? Because a lot of times the church is, again, function-focused design. They assume that people know they should be there, or their volunteers should be working, staff should be working, and people just all, you know, they love God, so they'll do everything there is, and then they just optimize for, okay, these are the things you need to do. Um, And a lot of times, it doesn't happen the way, just like gym memberships, right? We believe in the value of a gym membership. A lot of people pay for it every month, but we just don't go, right? So we believe in the value proposition, but we don't have the motivation. So whether something's useful or valuable does not necessarily mean we're actually motivated to do it. So I spent many years uh, exploring about motivation, and I'm most known for this octagon. It's called the Octalysis Framework. Uh, It's basically a combination between the word octagon and analysis. And so I spent many years studying exactly what makes a game engaging. And I study games that are very similar to each other. Sometimes they're just clones or copycats. Uh, One just copied everything from the other. But somehow one game is very successful and the other is a big failure. And I wanted to understand why that is. So I noticed a few things. Number one, it's not because one game has game elements, the other does not have it, right? They're copycats. They all have treasure boxes, leveling up, uh, what have you. But again, one is successful, one's a failure. It also isn't uh, the case where the graphics determine things. Sometimes the visually stunning game is a huge failure, and the relatively ugly, low-resolution game, Minecraft, RuneScape, achieves mass success. So at the end of the day, I realized all the successful games have now what I call the eight core drives of motivation. So I published this framework and uh, was very blessed. Uh, on my, I pushed it on my blog in a year. It was translated into 16 different languages, and that's how I got a lot of my opportunities sharing this. Uh, so inside, there's what we call eight core drives that motivate our behavior. Outside, there's a different example list of Uh, game design techniques to bring out those core drives. But this is a pretty busy chart, so at the beginning, we really just focus on the the center core drives. Now, what's interesting about these eight core drives is every single thing we do, inside or outside a game, is based on one or more of these eight core drives, which means that if there's none of these eight core drives there, there's zero motivation. No behavior happens. So we're going to spend a little bit of time exploring what those eight core drives are. I'm going to connect it to... Uh, uh, event in the Bible, just to connect that. And uh, this is a short, quick talk, but later in the afternoon, we have a longer breakout section. If you're interested, uh, you can go to one of the two uh, sections to, to learn more about this. So the first core drive is epic meaning and calling. This is a drive that says we're motivated because we feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And I believe this is why people, for instance, contribute to Wikipedia. We all know people don't make money when they contribute to Wikipedia, but they also don't advance their careers, update their resumes. A lot of people spend two or three hours every day after work contributing to Wikipedia because they believe they're protecting humanity's knowledge, something bigger than themselves. And of course, in the theme of this conference, you know, we're all here because of that epic meaning and calling. Uh, we want to be close to God. We want to pursue God and, um, and also learn how to lead people towards God. So, and in the Bible, we know that John the Baptist was very much motivated by this theme, epic meaning and calling. You know, his, he does all of the things he does, not because of personal advancement, not because of money, not because of curiosity. His just preparing the way for the king to come, 
right? And he's in the desert doing his own thing. And it's like, hey, you guys should listen, but I'm not even like making sure I'm successful myself. But he's just very mo- motivated by that pure theme of epic meaning and calling. Now, core drive two is development accomplishment. So this is the drive that says, because we feel like we're improving, we're leveling up, we're improving, and we're getting, achieving mastery, uh, we feel very engaged. And this is where sometimes, if you've heard of gamification before, some people like to say, oh, you know, just put points and badges on something. Uh, points and badges uh, basically fall into this theme. Points are basically counters, right? So it shows a sense of progression. So even though you're doing the same things over and over and over again, uh, at least you see this number growing bigger and bigger and bigger, this progress bar moving, and you feel like, hey, I'm actually getting somewhere. Uh, for some people, that's like their work. You know, it's like, oh, my job every day is the same thing, but hey, I see my bank account growing bigger and bigger, so that makes me happy. Uh, badges are basically what we call achievement symbols. It symbolizes a sense of accomplishment. And uh, badges can, achievement symbols can be in many different forms. Could be, you know, trophies, could be crowns, uniform changes, could be white belt, black belt in martial arts. The key thing is that it must symbolize an accomplishment. Uh, if you give people a badge for every silly thing they do, then of course it loses meaning. A lot of times just a little plastic or a, or a little icon. Now we can see in the Bible that Paul was very much driven by core drive development accomplishment. You can tell from his letters that he's thinking about expanding, proving itself, growing. And, um, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> I always find it really funny that uh, part of it he was talking about, oh, you know, I know a guy who was taken to the third heaven and... If, if it was anyone else I know, he'd be amazing, but, you know, that's just me, so I'm nothing, you know, I'm nothing. You know, he, he really, and, and what was really re- respectable about him, I was, like, impressed, was when the Pharisees saw Paul, right, they did not just say, oh, you know, this guy believes in Christ, he's an idiot. Like, everyone else is like, these guys are idiots, they're stupid. But for Paul, they said, like, like they respected him so much beforehand, there's like, your great learning has driven you mad, right? So they're like, you're so smart, so amazing that... You must be crazy to believe in Jesus, right? So, so they couldn't just dismiss him as being stupid and ignorant. They actually had to say, you are so smart, that's why you, you believe in Jesus. So you can see that his whole life, Paul has been an overachiever in all the things he does. He's really much driven by Core Drive 2. Core Drive 3 is empowerment of creativity and feedback. This is a drive, kind of like Lego. You give users the basic building blocks, and there's an infinite amount of ways for people to use their creativity try different strategies, see feedback, and then go back and adjust. And it's a very uh, creative and engaging process. So um, you can see later on, this is on the right top of the octagon, which means it's a white hat intrinsic motivation core drive. It's an evergreen type of motivation. It's the longest type uh, of motivation. So if we look at a lot of timeless games, right, chess, poker, golf, whatnot, it all has this core drive. So if we just look at chess, chess, very simple game, 64 squares, 32 pieces, and people have been playing for centuries. And it's still fun today. People, uh, chess does not have to be updating all the time. Say, oh, here's a new piece, here's a new board, a new hero enters the scene, right? <laughs> chess, chess does not need to add more content to stay fun because our brains are entertaining itself. It's just like being a scientist, inventor, lifelong experimentation, you know. And so this core drive is really about self-expression, meaningful choices, all the like. And we know that David actually is very much... Uh, motivated by this core drive. You know, he's a musician, he's an artist, and he likes to worship through dancing, right? And of course, that also, uh, sometimes when you're all about self-expression, it makes people feel like you're really weird. So uh, we know there's a case where his wife was a little upset about what he did, and, uh, but you know, he was just happy expressing himself. Okay. Um, core drive four, 
is ownership and possession. So this is basically saying, because we feel like we own something, we want to improve it, we want to protect it, and we want to get more of it. So this is, goes into things like virtual currencies, virtual goods, uh, but it's also the drive that makes us want to like, collect baseball cards or stamps. Uh, there's also a bit more abstract concepts, like if you spend a lot of time uh, customizing your Facebook profile, your Dropbox folder, you feel more attachment, hence ownership, over that experience. So even if a new technology comes out that's supposed to be better, we don't want to switch because we have so much ownership over this experience. And we know that in the Bible, uh, Judas betrays Jesus because of Cordrive for ownership possession, right? He wanted money, right? He didn't do it because of accomplishment, not because of any other Cordrive we talked about and we will talk about. It was really, he was just greedy and he wanted money and uh, he ended up regretting it a little bit. So it's Cordrive for ownership possession. Of course, these Cordrives, they can motivate people towards a good direction or negative direction, but um, that there's the result of the motivation and there's the nature. So today we're here talking about the nature of that core drive. Core drive five is social influence and relatedness. So this is basically uh, talking about everything you do based on what other people do think or say. So for instance, uh, group quest, uh, appreciation, competition, uh, social appreciations, things like that. And in the Bible, we know that Adam's become social influence uh, by Eve to eat the fruit, right? So he was like, oh, you know, um, I was just hanging around. And the, the person you gave me, God, this companion, he was, she was the one who, who told me to eat it, so I ate it. So uh, you know, there's some people who say, well, he was sitting right there when, when uh, Eve was talking to the snake. So uh, he probably had some responsibility, but he, he says it's, it's core drive five. That's the, that's the core root of it. Core drive six is scarcity and patience. So this is basically saying we want something because we can't have it or because it's hard to obtain. So anything that has like exclusivity, there's only three spots left, uh, there's a limited time to do something, there's this scarcity and patience theme. So this is actually how Facebook started. At the beginning, Facebook said, well, thefacebook.com is only for Harvard students. If you didn't go to Harvard University, too bad, can't use Facebook. And then it says, well, you know, Facebook is for Harvard, some Ivy League schools, and some other schools that your high school buddies got in, but you weren't smart enough to get in, too bad. And then it opened up to more and more schools. So when it opened up to UCLA in 2004, when I was attending it, uh, everyone rushed into Facebook. Not because they already knew how great Facebook was, right? Because no one has used it before. But that sheer exclusivity itself made people want to join. Like, you're not allowed to go. Okay, now you're allowed to go. And everyone rushes in. And that's important, right? Because if, if people go in one at a time, two, three weeks apart, then you feel like it's inactive. There's no party. You leave. It only works when everyone rushes in together and they see, wow, everyone is here. So this is where the party's at. Now, this is actually much of the sin drive. You're not supposed to do something, so therefore you actually want to do it. And we know that Eve was attracted to the forbidden fruit because it was the only thing that was uh, out of reach, right? And so we naturally have said, you're not allowed to do this. Uh, we tend to think about, okay, but why? Well, maybe I kind of want to do it. Core drive seven is unpredictability and curiosity. So this is the drive that says, because we don't know what's going to happen next, we're always thinking about it. This is obviously utilized in the gambling industry, but whenever you have a sweepstakes program, a lottery program, a raffle ticket system, you have this core drive. There's a lot of scientific research behind this core drive. The most famous one is called the Skinner box. Um, basically, scientists put a little animal, pigeon or mouse, in a box. Inside the box, there's a lever. So the first experiment is that whenever the animal presses the lever, food comes out. And what you'll see is the animal will press the lever until it's no longer hungry, because it doesn't eat food anymore. It makes sense. But when they switch the experiment to the point where 
whenever the animal presses the lever, food may or may not come out, and sometimes to come out. What you'll see is the animal will constantly be pressing the lever, regardless if it's hungry or not, because it's just messing with its brain. Will it come out? Will it come out? Will it come out? Will it come out? And there you have a little bit of gambling addiction right there in the little Skinner box. <laughs> we know in the Bible, uh, Moses was driven to the burning bush because of that curiosity thing. He's like, why, why is that bush burning but not burning up? Right? So that's an unusual event. It, it drove his curiosity, and he, wa- he went to the bush, and of course, that's how he uh, encountered God and through that. Quote drive eight is loss and avoidance. Very straightforward. You're doing something to avoid loss. You don't want something bad to happen. It's the fear core drive. Uh, dictators love to use it. It's very reliable. We'll talk about later why it's what we call a black hat type of motivation, which doesn't make people feel comfortable, but it drives a lot of urgency. But we know in the Bible that the Pharisees plot against Jesus because of this core drive, right? They were like respected among people, and they're like, yeah, we're awesome. And Jesus comes down and says, you guys are hypocrites. You guys aren't doing good work. And like, oh, Jesus is making us look really bad, right? We've got to get rid of him. So that core drive made loss and avoidance motivated them to uh, plot against Jesus. Now, of course, not just villains are motivated by this, right? Peter also denies Jesus multiple times because of loss and avoidance, right? Peter was like, yeah, I'm going to go die with you, Jesus. I'm your most loyal follower. And then he's like, oh, Jesus got beat up really badly. That looks kind of scary, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of don't know this guy, you know? Yeah, yeah he's, he's cool, but I know him. Um, so, so loss and avoidance is very powerful, but again, it creates, it doesn't, isn't always the way we like to be motivated on. Um, so... That's the main eight core drives. It's uh, worth mentioning again that everything we do is based on one or more of these eight core drives. Uh, we're going to talk about later on in the Today Breakout session where there's also a difference between left brain, right brain core drives, how one connects to extrinsic motivation, one connects to intrinsic motivation. Now I'm just kind of going a quick overview of what is to come if you learn more. There's what we call white hat motivation, drives, makes people feel powerful, in control, they feel good, but there's no sense of urgency. Then there's what we call black hat motivation that makes people feel urgent, obsessed, even addicted, but in the long run, it leaves a bad taste in their mouths because they feel like they're not in control of their own behavior. And then, uh, we, then we can talk about different systems where they use different core drives to motivate people. We can we'll learn about how experiences are built through those phases, those motivation, how people discover, let's say, the church experience, what is onboarding like, what motivates them scaffolding. We can discover how different player types, you know, people are different motiva- uh, motivated differently, how different player types are motivated through these different phases. So to close, uh, I want to say that Jesus, when he recruited his disciples, he actually utilized all these eight core drives, right? He just, you know, he, he wasn't like just saying, oh, you know, come here and I'll pay you or whatnot, right? He just said in one sentence, right? He says, follow me and I'll make you fishermen of men, right? And these people, you know, first of all, there's epic meaning and calling, right? It's like, wow, it's, you're bringing me to something bigger than myself. I'm not just being a fisherman. I'm a fisherman of men. And there's development and accomplishment. These people are fishermen, so they care about what's uh, being great fishermen, right? So it's like you can be a great at what you do, but just even beyond. There's empowerment of creativity and feedback. It's about, oh, how do I actually uh, do this? It's, there's some great meaningful choices, and there's the choice you want to follow him or not. There's ownership, possession, of course, gathering uh, more men, more fish. That's, that's what they do. Social influence and relatedness, Core Drive 5. They're like, wow, this, seems, this person seems so charismatic. I'm instantly attracted to Jesus, right? There's scarcity, right? Jesus didn't say, yeah, think about it. Talk to your family, you know. So, so he, just, he just said it and walked away, right? So it's like, well, you know, either this is a, this is, it's either now or never, right? There's a scare, it's a scarce opportunity, and there's that loss and avoidance. Like there's FOMO. If I just let him walk away, then I lose this opportunity for my entire life. So that's core drive six and eight. And there's obviously unpredictable curiosity. He obviously drives a lot of curiosity. Like, what does he mean? 
I don't understand. So with one sentence, he brought out all these eight-core drives, and the fishermen just threw down their nets and followed him, which is, I always think that's amazing. That's like you go to work one day, you're carrying a briefcase, and Jesus, Jesus like, a guy walks by, says, and you just throw away your briefcase and just start running towards him. It's like kind of awkward, right? But it is very powerful in terms of driving their actions. So again, that's the Octalysis framework. If you want to learn more, you can show up in the afternoon sessions, see the breakouts. If you won't be able to make that, then uh, again, you can check out uh, my book, Actionable Gamification, or go to Octalysis Prime. Yeah, thank you very much. That was awesome. Just awesome. I remember uh, when that talk was given, uh, just thinking about all of those motivations, right? Thinking about all of those that he walked through and thinking about how many of those I encounter all the time, whether I'm buying airplane tickets and there's only two left, right? Or or whether I'm, you know, on, on another app and you see one of these things happen, those things that motivate your actions, right? To do something or to uh, to take on maybe more investment of time or energy uh, in 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 doing something or accomplishing something than maybe you otherwise would, right? And so, such a great uh, you can tell that there was just so much more uh, there to uh, to learn about and to talk about both psychologically and from a motivational standpoint. But I was really really grateful uh, to have such great content from Yukai for us to begin thinking about. How is it when people come in to either a digital service or come in to a physical uh, service? How is it that we begin to help them with that spiritual journey, right? Continue mm-hmm. to move forward and grow closer and become better disciples, right? Ultimately, that that growth as, as disciple makers is really what uh, what the what the church is all about. Uh, so, just as we were rewatching that, Greg, were there any things that uh, jumped out to you that uh, seemed um, extremely important, or maybe some things that you thought I've got to go and and incorporate that immediately at Eastside? <laughs> well, you know what it made me think about is just why most of us, especially if you grew up in church and you've you've got a, uh, y- you know, you've grown up with some pretty grounded scripts for how we do ministry in a church setting. Mm-hmm. It just brings up that question, you know, why should we consider gamifying key moments in the ministry of the church? I mean, where do we see that in the New Testament? You know. Right. Uh, do we see Jesus playing bunko with the disciples and, and, and creating some great, you know, but what we do see Jesus doing is something that I think is really key in connecting with people. And it's a key to assimilation. It's a key to life. And I think we miss it uh, a lot in our culture. And that's that if you create the right environment, the results you want to see will happen naturally. Hmm. And uh, what our default is, is we've gone to classes. And we just create class environments where we tell them this is what they need to do and how to do it. Jesus didn't didn't do that much. You know, I think the whole feeding of the 5,000 was him creating an environment where not just where people were going to have this experience of being fed miraculously, but I bet there were a lot of people that didn't even know they were being fed miraculously. In a big sense, this was a huge moment to speak into the life and the formation of his, of his key disciples, his key followers who were involved in that. And there were 12 baskets left over one for each of the, you know, that you can do things beyond it. it he didn't gamify it, but he, he created an environment where the, the, the light bulbs turned on and the dots connected. Right. And in our culture, sometimes games or activities and fun create the connection. So I always say, instead of, 
creating a class where we teach people how to connect. How about just creating an environment where they connect? Uh, I know the other night I had a, like a, a maybe eight young adults in my house. We ended up playing charades. By the end of it, we were already planning our Yosemite trip at the end of the month where we could play charades at night and go, what, what did that do? Because games and activities connect us. But our default is let's do a Bible study on a connection. Well, mm -hmm. you know, my thing would be let's do a Bible doing where we create an environment where what the Bible was talking about naturally happens and go from there. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of some, some of the kinds of things I started thinking about. A great comment, great comment about environment and making sure that the environment that you create has naturally some of those motivations, right? Some of those things, sure. the, the epic meaning and calling, right, is something that will be attractive to some people that are looking for something bigger, that are looking to be part of something bigger, right? Mm -hmm. And suddenly you go from having a discussion about um, um, you know, discipleship to planning uh, a Yosemite trip, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it becomes it becomes something that uh, everybody can can absolutely relate to. Uh, tell me some of the other ways that uh, you have seen just some of the concepts of gamification work well as you've worked to try to assimilate more and more people uh, at uh, at Eastside. I could talk about this. <laughs> Very enthusiastically and at length. So please feel free to interrupt and ask questions. Sure. And, and if, if you have a comment, or, yeah, definitely. I want to tell everybody if you have a comment or you have a question for Greg yeah. as well, as we're talking here, don't hesitate to drop that in the comment section. We'll make sure we get your question asked. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I've identified six questions that I asked myself to help me discern when I should consider a game or activity instead of something more typical. In, in our assimilation environment, you know, we call our assimilation environment, it's not creative. A lot of you guys have programs like this called, it's called Next Steps, but we don't, we don't ever, uh, uh, we don't uh, call it a class. We just call it Next Steps. Sometimes we call it the Next Steps experience and we deliver on that. So it's not in rows. We never do rows and it's always tables. And we let people know that it's tables because that says we're not going to be sitting, taking notes. Right. We're going to be having discussion because we need faith, friends, and fun to have a successful environment, like I was talking about earlier, that actually connects people. And so that's not a class sitting in rows taking notes. That's at tables, having discussion, having fun, getting some training as well, giving some assignments. You, you incentivize with some rewards, prizes. So the, these questions I have, the first one uh, helped me actually know when it's time to consider a game or activity uh, to get something across. Uh, the first question is there is there an experience that would give them a taste of of something that you want to lead them toward? For instance, uh, step one in our next steps is to connect. So uh, a moment we have after, hey, you're at step one, connect. So what we're going to do is we're going to play next steps bingo and you're going to walk around the room and get people to sign a bingo. You get five signatures asking them questions about themselves. They have so much fun. We crank up some fun music. There's a prize, somebody else, bingo. But they've gotten to know maybe 10 other people that have signed their card and some weird fact about them. And we help them connect without telling them that they should connect. Mm -hmm. And here are three principles to do it. We have another one called the dice game. And it's not really a game. It's more of an activity. And we do it on week two, which is step two is community. They just roll the dice. And when they roll, a, say, a, whatever number they roll, say a two, there's a sheet that the table host has. Number two is a, question number two. And it's something like, if you had any, if you could be any superhero with any superpower in the world, uh, 
who would you be and where would you want to use that power? And just, they're not too personal, you know, and they're kind of fun. But if we're talking about community, which we build it on this mantra of make friends, follow Jesus, make a difference. Well, instead of teaching them about making friends or what the Bible says about friendship, let's just play the dice game and let's make some friends. And those people end up hanging out and having conversations after the session together and walking out to their cars together. And that's a win in my view. Uh, So, um, you know, I ask a second question is, is there a new way of thinking or living that you want to win them to? And one of our famous ones on this, and this one again, doesn't have a prize. So it's, it's more of an activity, but we have this thing called the community ball. You can purchase these X U M P sump. I think you say it, but you can get them on Amazon too. They're called UFO balls. We call them community balls and every table has one. And what we do is we have them get in a circle and in the circle, one, one person touches the ball and the other one, you know, closes that loop and it starts lighting up and making noise. And everybody, all these tables are loving it. They all become like first graders. And, and we tell them, because this is the session on community and this is the community ball that, hey, there's God gave energy, enough energy to uh, power the sound and light mechanism on this ball and even more. Okay. And what you guys are experiencing there is in your little group already, there is enough energy to light this ball. And maybe some of you are fatigued lately, and it could be that one of the reasons is that you're not experiencing the power God made in community. Mm. And then we have somebody on the opposite side of the circle let go, right? And when that person on the opposite side of the circle just lets go, it turns it off, even though everybody else is still touching the ball. And we talk about just one person in your friendship or community lets go or is forgotten or doesn't forgive or isn't forgiven, the power's gone. And then we have them do some other things in the activity that kind of reinforce different aspects of community. And when it's done, they all cheer. Hmm. But that's worth so much more than doing a lesson on the power of community. We give them an experience in that. When we onboard staff, we use this as well. Because as director of assimilation, I have to onboard new staff at our church. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge miss in assimilation is we want to assimilate guests so that they get it all. But then we import uh, staff from other churches that have different visions and paradigms on our own and wonder why things sometimes drift south. You have to assimilate them even more. Mm-hmm. In, in a correct way. So one the, we, we do some gamification in those sessions. And one of them is uh, we, we, instead of doing a lesson on our staff values, we list them and give them an assignment that they go that weekend and use their iPhones and take photos. It's a photo scavenger hunt where they take photos of where that staff value in action, mm-hmm. then they bring them back and then they can win the one who has the most done or the best ones we give high end swag to. And some great, great prizes, you know, like fleece, east side fleece blankets or right. east side, you, you know, this kind of stuff. And they do it. Some of them make collages and they share them and we put them on the screen. But they remember our staff values, but they wouldn't if we just, you know, just shared it, it conceptually. Mm-hmm. You know, another question I think of is, are there some facts that you would like people to really remember? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that staff value ones is a little bit of an example of that. But one we do on step four, which is compassion is we have the Unleash Compassion game and every table selects the person they think remembered the most. They sit them up there and they all have these little whiteboards and we put on Jeopardy music and game show music and we have six questions and whichever table was able to turn over the, the, the right amount of answers or the highest amount of answers, they, all, that whole table gets fleece blankets from each side. And so it's incentivized, but they end up remembering some key facts that they wouldn't otherwise. Uh, another one is 
do you need to engage people online if you're doing assimilation online, which we should be, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so I know for step two on community, we have totally different games that work on, on our Zoom version of Next Steps as an assimilation environment than we do on our physical campuses. Diana Rush, our Anaheim assimilation director, she came up with a great idea, a game called, if your neighbor needed it, would you have it? And this, of course, from at the beginning of the quarantine was really huge, right? So she would just yell out something and, and they had to, it was a, in their home scavenger hunt. They would run to get toilet paper. They'd come back with huge things of toilet paper or <laughs> an onion or, uh, you know, it could be a food item. It could be, a, she even said a sock with a hole in it. I don't know why a neighbor would need that, but they, they would run and get these things. You got a point for, for, uh, for finding it and two points for being the first one. And then we sent them Amazon gift cards to the winner. Mm. But all of a sudden, this Zoom thing has become a laughing thing and they're all seeing what each other bring and it just starts connecting people. Another one is, is, uh, is there a practice that you would like them to learn or own? And so when we onboard new staff, we have a very, um, uh, a very de uh, detailed and uh, effective volunteer onboarding process. And we, you know, you want your staff to all honor that process. So we, I do these games. We have black PVC pipe and, and uh, you, you get teams holding about a two foot piece of pipe. And then there's, there's these ping pong balls that represent people and they put them in one end of the pipe and they have to keep adding pipe, you know, to go to get them from one thing to the other. And then they talk about where were the vulnerabilities and well, we dropped them in the cracks. Well, then what do we do with the cracks in our process? That's where this piece of the process comes in or you know you start to use these fun things and you 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 reward it with a prize and whatever to help teach them how the onboarding process for volunteers works mm -hmm. and lastly uh i think uh, another question i ask is is there a tool you'd like to get them used to using and uh, so again in the staff uh assimilation we we have them do this thing where they have to go on our staff portal online and find stuff and we'll ask a question. It's real fast quiz questions. Like, what's the name of the form when you want to change the website? And they're in the step portal. Then, well, they get it. They get a point for that. And then we keep going. They're all just running around on their laptop. And then we, we give a prize to them. Else. But uh, by doing that, they end up finding those things that they're not going to remember what, you know, what it was when you just say it in a class. And they're going to come back to you weeks later and goes, where's that thing? Where's the staff portal? Well, now they're all on it. And this game created a way of making that portable and memorable. So those are just some of the ways, Chris, that we yeah. incorporate gamification and assimilation. Well, so important too in helping people to take that next step, right? Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, I know at at um, at my church, we talk about you know helping people uh, find the courage to take that next step, and it can be a very scary thing. It can, for especially if somebody that you know doesn't have a background in um, um, church or doesn't have a background uh, in in Christianity, to really know what you know they need to do or what they should do. And I think being able to break some things down with some gamification and being able to help people uh, recognize the fact that, hey, we're, we're just, we're, we're all people here trying to take that next step uh, gives everybody the opportunity to have, um, you know, less, less resistance, less, uh, less uh, fear and um, uh, get, gets them the opportunity to, uh, to take that next step, whatever that might be, right? Everybody yeah. has a next step. We never stop yeah. having a next step as, as disciples. 
And I think a game sets an environment that we're, it levels everything out. We're all, mm -hmm. we're all participants in this simple game. Right. Whereas we may not know as much about the Bible as somebody else, or we may not understand what it means to follow Jesus in this way, or we've always had an aversion to this kind of learning or this kind of spiritual practice that seems too nebulous or foggy. But when you play the game, it just gets everybody on the same level, the same page, and you can go farther with them than in the training you offer in your assimilation environment than you did if you didn't have that fun factor. So, Yeah, absolutely. I love when you guys talking about um, most games and how you know, chess doesn't necessarily have a new hero has entered the game. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the idea that there are some games that are just by themselves intrinsically interesting. And then there are some opportunities when – uh, when when a new hero enters the game, and I think being able to look at uh, each person that comes to that next step opportunity, each mm -hmm. person that comes, you know, is in fact a new hero that has entered the game, right? And um, okay. is working to uh, to find and to take whatever that next step is for them for growth and development. And mm -hmm. and uh, I know we we never tire of finding new ways to uh, to help people in the discipleship process and to get them started and. Um, so certainly, I think thinking about gamification, thinking about the idea of of not just making things fun, but making things you know poignant for people becomes an important thing to uh, to, to think about when you're introducing the concept of discipleship. Yeah. Um, and, and have you seen uh, when you are working with uh, you know um, maybe small groups? Is there any any uh, process like this that has really worked well for small groups to um, to really help that growth and that development uh, naturally in small group settings? Well, other than what your listeners might be um, thinking about, like having a game night with their small group or that kind of a thing, what we did. The, our assimilation program, when we designed it, worked so well. The church's giving went up. I mean, like every, it was so notable that Gene Apple, our, our lead pastor, said, How can we get the entire church to do this? Mm. To do this. And he thought, and while he was fishing in Minnesota, he had his Eureka moment. He says, You know, because we couldn't get the whole church. Where do you get the whole church through something? Right, like right. He says, It's small groups. Yeah. And so we created a version where we put, you know, we give everybody a backpack when they come in for next for the next steps journey. And we put new objects in it every week that reinforced that step. But what we did is in the, back then it was an eight week thing. So there were eight yeah. kind of steps. And so they they uh, we gave the curriculum in there and it all of them got the community ball in there and instructions mm -hmm. for the leader how to use it. We we modified the activities in the games. And so they were able to do those things as a small group. And uh, and then go through the content in video and on D on DVD back then, because this was like eight, nine years ago. And so, um, we, you know, th they are adaptable. Yeah, you, those same principles are, are adaptable in a small group. And I think we'll add some fun and richness uh, illustratively, you know, as an illustration or sometimes just to break down walls uh, for a good discussion. Whether you are talking about uh, adult uh, next steps, whether you're talking about adult small group or whether you're even talking about kids ministry, right? Next gen opportunities. All of these things are transitive and all of these, uh, these, these moments are really transitive in terms of being able to spark for people 
right? What those ways for them to get involved, what the next step on their journey is, what ways that they can be uh, can, can be dialed in uh, to uh, what, what God has in store for them uh, is so important. Greg, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate so much the work that you and the team at Eastside are doing. Diane uh, Rush, who you mentioned is a, is a good friend and appreciate so much her work and, and the yeah. team's work at Eastside and, and Jean's work as well. And uh, just appreciate all of the work that you're doing. Um, and if, if um, you, you mentioned uh, that um, there are uh, opportunities for this next step journey to sort of be an online process, is there any way that we could maybe experience that or could send people to that or someplace where they can go just to see what you all have done at Eastside and um, um, with regard to the next step and the assimilation process so that they could just see what that looks like? Yeah, there's a few different ways. Uh... One way is I have a website called, and the URL is gregcurtis-assimilation.com. Gregcurtis-assimilation.com. And the website's called Climbing the Assimilias. Because I think most churches feel like connecting, new people connecting at their church is a coast because yeah. we're, we're all friendly. But it's the truth is it's we're all friendly with each other. And so it's really not a coast for guests. It's a climb. And every climber needs a, a Sherpa to guide them towards that summit of full connection with God in this community. And so um, I have on my website some posts. If you type in next steps or assimilation program in the search, you'll see some posts where we outline every little bit, including how we format our next steps uh, online. Uh, you could go to eastside.com and go to uh, slash next steps uh, or just scroll to the bottom and, and you'll see next steps and you can click there. And uh, you could actually jump in. Uh, and experience uh, one of them. Uh, our most attended ones are on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And, you know, it, at this point, I think, you know, as we're moving into the summer, we're, we're probably just, uh, you know, maybe four to 10 in attendance on, on Tuesday nights. But it's, uh, but if you come, keep your camera on and you play, no, no lurkers, you know, you're, you're, if you come, you gotta be a full participant like a guest. So, yeah, but but that that would be fine, and uh, you can also uh, through my website. There's a contact me feature, and I can uh, uh, answer questions, share with you some resources that you might need that our church uses, uh, whatever you need to do, and um, and I also coach churches on the side to help create some of these environments in an effective way, and and it's really it's going well. Great. Super. Well, Greg, thank you again for being here with us today. Really appreciate all of your work. Appreciate being able to talk about Yukai's uh, talk and some of the ways that we are putting those things into practice mm -hmm. uh, every day as uh, we continue uh, to help people become better disciples. Uh, and so I want to thank everyone who has joined us today. Appreciate so much uh, the opportunity to bring Spirecast to you each week with uh, some great content, great tools, great resources uh, to be able to help you in your leadership journey uh, as uh, together we continue to lead a movement. And if you haven't signed up again for Spire Conference uh, and in September, September 14th through the 16th, we're going to be at the Gaylord Opryland Convention yeah. Center and Resort. It's going to be a great, great, not only venue, great, great program, but, but really a fantastic opportunity for all of us to get together. Something happens uh, that's important when we all get together and it's collaboration. Uh, it's, it's connection 
connection, uh, but then innovation becomes that that mm -hmm. that next bridge point. And so I know we are really looking forward to that that opportunity for that authentic community uh, to be uh, to be part of our lives again. Looking forward to it. Sign up spireconference.network spireconference.network and we look forward to seeing all of you there in September. Greg, again, thank you so much for being here this week and uh, to all of you, thank you and I hope you have a great rest of the week. Take care. God bless.